the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. Well, this is Heart of the City, and I'm Chuck Olmstead. Every week we have this opportunity to join you and share about what the Lord is doing in people's lives and the faithfulness of God. You know, I love doing this program because I learn things as we go along. I, I'm te- I was telling our guests this morning uh, as, as we were recording this program that I typically don't, don't get a background check, if you will. I know who the person is, but I don't go through and review exactly what we're going to say. So this is a discovery moment for me as uh, we're uh, talking today with Chris Goff. He's the Director of Church Engagement with Union Gospel Mission here in Seattle. Chris, welcome to Heart of the City. Yeah, thank you, Chuck. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to hear your story. The Heart of the City, I I came up with this idea because so often on KGNW, we hear great teaching, lots of great preachers, Chuck Swindoll, Alistair Begg, uh, you know, local pastors, Andre Sims and Steve Shell, and, and so many great teaching uh, moments on our station. But we rarely get to hear long-form stories about how the Lord worked in somebody's life, how they got saved, what yeah. the Lord did, and how he worked in, a, in, in an individual life. And so I, I like to take this half hour and uh, and share with people about what the Lord's done and kind of have an extended story of, of God's faithfulness in people's lives. And so, uh, Chris, you uh, did you grow up in this area? Are you from around here, around these parts? Yeah, I did. I grew up down in the Renton area and uh, Renton Highlands, so kind of the East Renton corner there. It was kind of an odd area because it was the Renton city limits, but the Issaquah School District, you know, kind of a, an, an interesting no-man's land out there. But yeah, I grew up out, out in Renton, um, and uh, when I graduated from Liberty High School, I, I attended Seattle Pacific University, and then kind of moved into the city for a while. Yeah, so what was your life like as a kid? Was it just typical family, or, you know, uh, mom and dad, or single parents, or what was what was life like for you? Yeah, we had a we had a strong a strong family out there my my grandma who actually just had her 96th birthday wow. a happy couple birth- days ago happy birthday grandma happy birthday velma we we love you uh, she just had her 96th birthday and a little over 60 years ago she helped plant a church in the Renton Highlands Highlands Community Church uh, pastor Wally Wilson came out planted a church my mom who is in her late 60s has attended there since she was born and so we have a long history of kind of being in so one So you're place. not church hoppers. Uh, we're not mom, church mom's, hoppers. Mom's not a church hopper. She, she's done no church shopping <laughs> in her life, zero church shopping. Uh, and so I grew up in, in that kind of uh, environment where my parents were, were very involved with the local church. I had three brothers, and um, we grew up at that church. It wasn't really a choice, you know. Right. 
that's where we went every Sunday. That's where we went on camps and and retreats and and all sorts of things. So yeah, so so that's kind of for for many that are listeners, they can relate to it, and for others, they may have just come to faith uh, on their own. Their family yeah. had no spiritual background, so. You know, in your earliest memories as a as a child and growing up, what was that family dynamic like uh, growing up in a Christian home like that? Well, in some ways, you know, very different from someone who, say, learns about Jesus in their 20s or, or later in life. But in other ways, it's very similar because you grow up in an environment that you take for granted, and at some point you have to own that for yourself, right? So. Mm-hmm. Even when you grow up in a church environment where uh, you're praying before dinner and and your dad is reading the Bible in the morning and you go to church every Sunday, there still comes a point in your life where you have to say, okay, but do I believe this? Is this mine or is this the faith of my parents or is this the faith of my environment? Uh, and so either way, you've got to own it personally at some point, and that's my journey for yeah, sure. Yeah, well, and that and that, some people don't realize or don't understand that, and so they see like a, quote, preacher's kid or a kid that grew up in a, in a pastoral environment, and they say, you know, right. how in the, you know, you grew up, you know, listening to all this stuff. Why was it that you were 35 years old when you came to the Lord? Well, sometimes right. that's the story, isn't it, that— Sure. They, they didn't own that. They didn't, even though they heard it, they didn't really personally receive that and believe that and trust Christ in their heart, you know, until 35 years old. Right. And I, and I think that's, um, I think it's a, you know, obviously as a, as a parent now, I have four kids. I came with a family of four kids. Now I have four kids. Uh, you know, we're, we're raising our kids to know who Jesus is. We're raising our kids to go to church and be involved in, in the community and to uh, pray together, pray for one another and all those things. But I also recognize that um, I hope my kids take that for their own. Uh-huh. And like my story, when, when I really did take that faith and, and hold it and really kind of stand before the Lord and, and uh, have that, that kind of moment with Jesus— um, then it kind of maybe redeemed isn't the right word, but all that other stuff that came before, uh, it, it all of a sudden is clarified and, hmm. and crystallized. And all of a sudden it's like, wait, it, it was of huge value that I went through all these things. And that I remember I have this Bible um, that says uh, Chris, Chris has memorized 400 passages of Scripture. And I remember pulling that out when I was an adult, and I was like, I did? Like, I, oh, wow. I don't remember ever doing this. I don't remember ever getting this Bible. I don't know when this occurred. Uh, and so, you know, it's an interesting dynamic, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I grew up with this. But at the same time, that's, that's in my blood, right? Sure. Like, those Scriptures are in there, and I mm-hmm. do pull those out. And they do come to mind in times of difficulty or yeah. celebration. And So— you grew up in that environment, so when was that? What was that point of time for you when you said, I need to uh, not only just know about Jesus, but know Jesus? Yeah. Um, well, well, before I answer that, I'll, I'll say, you know, it, it sure is a gift to have a Christian leaders who are faithful people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have friends who were a part of congregations or, you know, a youth leader or something who really, um, I think, failed the church community in some way or, or let people down or, or misled people. Or uh, I, I know a friend whose pastor one Sunday got up and said, I never really believed any of this. I've been having an affair. And he walked out the side door. That was his sermon on Sunday. Wow. 
Mm. And um, I'm grateful to say that my my uh, my coming to faith wasn't because of a, a, a crisis in that way. Mm-hmm. I, I'm grateful for that. Uh, I know that that can be God can redeem all of that, and and some of our our greatest leaders have been through lots of crisis because that can harden. You know, James talks about that that perseverance and suffering can actually produce um, uh, amazing things in someone's life. But but for me, it was really uh, when I went to Seattle Pacific University and I did track and field there and was studying, and I decided to do a theology degree. And so here I am learning about, you know, perichoresis and, and all these different terms and, and starting to understand, like, here's, here's the Trinity and, and here's uh, the dual nature of Jesus and here's a class on Revelation. And I remember putting down a book and just thinking, I, I might as well be studying biology or math or something else, because I'm really just learning more information. You mm. know? It was a compounding of the 400-verse Bible, right? Like, right. I've studied 400 verses, and now I'm studying, you know, about Augustine and, and you know, uh, and um, studying about Martin Luther King. And, and it's like, but this is just information. Um, and I remember it was, it, it, it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a crisis that you might, when you think of a crisis, you wouldn't think of it this way, but it was a crisis for me because I remember thinking, is this just all information? Is this just all knowledge? And is that where this really ends? Is that if I can gather enough knowledge, I can kind of outsmart the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't, I, you know, Josh McDowell's fantastic. I remember he came to our church, you know, 101 evidences, you know, and this kind of thing. And like, to me, that's what the faith was. I can prove to anybody uh, what I believe and why I'm right and why you're wrong. And there came a point as I started studying and learning all of those things so that I could be right that I realized, who cares if you're right? Um, there's got to be something else to this besides beyond information, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I was, <laughs> I remember the moment very specifically because I was, I was skateboarding with my good friend Dan. We were out really late at night. It was like two in the morning. We're walking back to our apartment. And um, I just remember this sense of God saying, Chris, I see you. I see who you are. I know who you are. And I've created you for a purpose. I mean, it was, it was really kind of that simple of a message. Like, I, I notice you. Not like I see that you understand who I am. I, not I, I see that you have learned enough knowledge now for me to start talking to you. <laughs> right, but, right. But but it was more like, I see who you are and I have a future for you. And there was, it was this... Um, this feeling like uh, like you just won something, right? Or uh-huh. like this feeling of like, oh, this is real. Like this is there's a real there's a real person in Jesus. There's a real person in God the Father. And I had all the language for it, mm-hmm. but I hadn't had the actual personal experience um, in an unmistakable way like that. And so I'd had lots of amazing experiences. I'd I'd prayed and um, and seen God do some amazing things before then and 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 after, but that there was a moment for me there in college where I felt like God spoke to me. I listened, and I want to follow that that voice. You know, hmm. I want to follow that person who made me feel that way um, because it was it it was no longer about information. It was it was a feeling. It it was a it was a sense of peace and a sense of not you got to learn some more. I mean, I, I could say that even my decision to do a theology degree 
was it was in a it was a form of striving, right? Like it was mm-hmm. a form of saying, "How do I accomplish the Christian life?" Um, but in that moment, I realized that the Christian life has been accomplished. <laughs> it's already mm-hmm. been accomplished. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm actually invited to do is to now walk with the one who's accomplished it. You know, instead of learn about, study about, as if I'm looking at slides on a microscope or you know something like that. So, you know, if you were, you know, deep into noticeable sin, there would have been some sort of transformation. But for you, you were living, I guess, if you want to say, a fairly uh, conservative life, if you will. Was there a a striking change in your lifestyle or was it just like uh, an aha moment or was there a different attitudinal change about what you were doing? Well, certainly... um yeah, cer- certainly there's was and is sin in my life, you know. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, I think I think it was kind of that difference between black and white and color, and it was kind of like, oh man, when I'm reading about, you know, um, the story of Martin Luther for my class, you know, at the time, right? Uh, instead of what what bit of wisdom can I pull from Martin Luther, it was like, oh, this is Martin Luther's walk with God. Mm-hmm. And so I actually wasn't interested in walking with God. I was interested in getting wisdom and getting knowledge. And so the reading of Scripture, I was really into Proverbs, right? Because someone had told me, and I still think it's a great idea, by the way, that you can read a proverb a day, you know, and in a month you can go. So I did that for years because it was like, oh, I'm getting— and I. But what, what it was was I was trying to actually attain wisdom and knowledge instead of trying to be— um, in relationship with with the Creator, in relationship with Jesus, so it was a, it moved from, this all belongs in my head to this is a relationship, and a relationship includes the head, but it also includes the heart. It includes you know mind, body, soul, and I think when Jesus says this is the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, he really wanted the whole person. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that uh, a verse that came almost immediately after that experience was John 10.10, which talks about the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you'd have life and have it to the full. And I just realized the narrow, kind of small way I had been perceiving not just my faith, not just God, but even just my life, you know? Speak to the people who are uh, <clears throat> driving in their car, listening at home right now, or listening to the, a podcast of this of this program, who uh, have this uh, intellectual assent towards those spiritual things, and and yeah. speak to that person to in your own, you know, because apparently you had that, but then the difference between that and actually having a relationship with God. What, what what could you say to them as they're as they're striving for that, and maybe they see themselves in the same situation you were? Well, I think I think Jesus, and it's 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 uh, convicting to say, and I, but I think Jesus' harshest criticisms were to the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. These were the people who assumed they had things figured out and knew what was going on. And remember, uh, uh, Simon the Pharisee says, "I don't think Jesus realizes who this lady is washing his feet because he knew, right." He had the information. And I would just say, be careful, <laughs> because those were the people who received the harshest criticism from, from Jesus. And those are the folks, uh, and I say those are the folks because I'm one of those people, and I still am tempted to fall into that at times. But, um, 
that that's the temptation is that we've actually figured out God. We've actually figured out what all of this is. And so I actually don't need that relationship with God. I actually don't need uh, uh, that sense of God's peace or God's presence or God's grace because I actually have this figured out. Right. Um, and so I would just encourage you. Um, I remember I remember uh, Pastor Mike, who used to speak at the inn over uh, at UW. I remember hearing him say in the same season of life, um, God is not really interested in right and wrong. He's he's interested in life and death. And so when Paul talks about sin, it's not just that, oh, you weren't supposed to swear or smoke a cigarette. He's saying, no, sin actually leads to death. And righteousness isn't just you did a good job by tithing or you, you've got great church attendance, mm-hmm. but it's like living rightly with God leads to life and a fullness of life. And so our experience with God needs to be one that's full of life, not full of um, information or not full of a, a, a um, you know, it's not, it's not a quiver to be filled with arrows so that you can rightly protect the world, you know. <laughs> exactly. From, from the, um, you know, or rightly protect God from the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, God doesn't need us in that. Mm-hmm. He actually doesn't need us in that. Um, and so, so all of a sudden you take, you know, 101 evidences that demand a verdict or something like that or, you know, I just I loved apologetics and still do. But all of a sudden those apologetics are, are more for edification than for um, than spears to be thrown you know, at the other to pro- prove, Yeah, to prove you're right about a certain topic. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So out of that new realization, that new relationship that you had with Jesus back in those college years, what then transpired as you progressed along in your walk with the Lord as far as vocation, as far as relationships, as far as marriage and that sort of thing? What, what happened next in your life after college? Yeah, well, I had a... <clears throat> Uh, w- when you're in relationship with someone, and and you know we all know this because we're all in relationships. You know, uh, my friend, my friend Mike, is, says God gives us two relationships automatically: a relationship with Himself, everybody, a relationship with Himself, and a relationship with their family, with your family. Mm-hmm. And so we we don't have a choice but to engage relationally with the world. And um, what happens when you're in a relationship, especially with people who are close to you? is you can't really hide yourself anymore <laughs> you know uh you can your acquaintances you can be just fine kind of looking good on Instagram and on Facebook right. and, and you know and you can look like you're you know living this charmed life and most people try to come off looking that way actually on social media but when you're actually in relationship with people your warts come out your your ugly sides come out and there is that process of sanctification and that process of growth that is inevitable if you're in any sort of significant relationship. And that's what happened to me. When this turned, when this twisted from, uh, you know, a body of knowledge to a person, that relationship started to affect my life. And so probably one of the most significant stories, and it's ironic that I'm ch- talking with you today, Chuck, on, on the radio, uh, because I was terrified growing up of, you know, they say public speaking is the number one fear Death is number two, right? <laughs> right, so, right. <laughs> so it's this idea that like, and I, I remember uh, in elementary school, everybody was excited because we had these jugglers. There was going to be this big thing. Well, I faked being sick. I went to the nurse's office because it was like, what if they call me up on stage? Wow. You know? That's, that's real fear. I mean, that's... Y- yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And even in college, I would I, there was classes I signed up for, and then I would see, you know, I'd look through the the syllabus, and it would say, you know, uh, you know, speech or or presentation on this, and I would change classes. I wow. would I would avoid I avoided that stuff like the plague. And so after I graduated from college, I, I took a job at Bethany Community Church in Green Lake and um, started a college ministry there. And uh, not not more than a year had I been there, but the Thanksgiving Eve service came up, and Richard Dahlstrom, our pastor, came over and he said, Hey, Chris, you're on for the Thanksgiving Eve sermon. And my immediate thought was, i got to find another job. Literally. <laughs> wow. It wasn't like a joke. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was like, well... I, I guess I, I tried church work, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. May, maybe there's something for me, you know, down down with the Seahawks or something. And so uh, I literally, for uh, for a couple days, was thinking about what else I could do career wise. Wow. I mean, it was that yeah. just one, you know, twenty minute sermon is all you know. And um, <clears throat> and God used uh, 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 Richard Orbendorf, this guy in our our congregation. He asked me to go to coffee. He was on our board. And he said, hey, I heard Richard asked you to give the sermon. I said, yeah, he did. I'm not really sure about that, you know. And he said, oh, you'll do great. He's very encouraging. But he said, you know, there's two things you can rely on. Nobody else has your story. And uh, Scripture never falls on deaf ears. So if you just tell the story of Scripture and tell a little bit of your story, you can't lose. You know, that Mm -hmm. was kind of his advice. Yeah. Which I still think is great advice. And so I thought this was my... So I prayed about it, and I felt like God was saying, in relationship now, um, just read the passage, you know? And so I read the passage, and it was the story of—remember the story of the ten lepers? Jesus heals these ten lepers, and the one comes back and says, thank you, right? And so um, I remember noticing in the, in the passage that uh, ten were healed, but the one was well. The one was made well. He was whole because he came back in relationship. And I remember thinking, that's kind of like me, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like when I realized that piece of actually coming back in relationship, and all of a sudden I started getting really excited about the passage and about what God was saying. And then I kind of felt like God was saying, hey, this isn't about you. Just say what you feel like I'm saying, mm-hmm. you know? And so uh, the oddest thing, I went in to do this sermon, and I was not nervous. I was not concerned because... God had told me something to say. It wasn't me talking. It was God ha- had given me something to say. And uh, that, was, that was a pretty significant shift for me in, um, and God really showing me that he can transform my life and the and this deep fears and the deep things that, I, that I'm holding on to. Yeah. Well, we could go on a lot about that because I, I have a little thing to interject here, and that is that I remember you speaking at Bethany Church. I'm not sure if it was that message, but I was attending at that time, and I do remember you oh, sharing amazing. with the congregation. You and I haven't ever talked about that before. Oh, that's funny. But uh, I was I was touched deeply by your message on that day, at least that I, I had a chance to hear you. We've got just a couple minutes left. So, okay. so out of that, out of that transformation that the Lord gave you, now you're in a position where you're working, <laughs> ironically enough, a director of church engagement. So you're up front of people all the time and sharing yeah. on the radio. You've got a program on Light Up the City here on KGNW, yeah. And, and so you're out in front of people. So the Lord must have really done some sort of work and helped to take away that fear. It, he sure has. Unless if it's about me, I start getting nervous. But as long as I can keep it about 
about him, I, I feel very comfortable. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. So tell tell me uh, in a, in a minute here what what light up the city is and what you're doing to assist uh, local church networks and and churches in the area. Yeah. So basically. The Seattle's Union Gospel Mission is is one of just a handful of kind of large, you know, evangelical Christian organizations in the city of Seattle. But uh, they've been working with those in greatest need in our community for like 83 years, you know, 1932, I think, was the first year. And um, the idea was multiplication is greater than addition. And, and how do we help the local church reclaim this sense of working with those in need? And so what, what our Light Up the City Network really does is, is work with, those, uh, with networks of churches all over to help them serve those in need in their own communities. Wow. Well, we could talk a lot more about this, Chris, but uh, we're running out of time. We've been uh, heart of the city. We've been speaking with Chris Gah. He's the director of church engagements uh, with Union Gospel Mission. If you want to learn more about Light Up the City, you can go up to lightupthecity.org. Chris, thanks for joining me today. God bless you. Thanks, Chuck. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on KGNW, call Chuck Olmsted at 206-269-6216 or go to KGNW.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.